I'm going to try, and it may go a little different. I was told I need to be louder, which is not hard for me, but because I hear so much more sound up here, I'm always worried I'm going to blow you out because I can be really, really, really loud. Unfortunately, I was born that way, which refs in flag football get kind of frustrated because I can be heard a long way off, but I'm going to try. So it may tweak up once in a while because I'm going to try to be a little louder this service because it is a little more packed, which means it is also a little more stressful. Okay, it is a little more stressful. Now, before I start, I want to remind you that this week, because it delayed a month from when we started life groups, the Riser Life Group is going to begin this evening. And if you're interested, Jennifer's here. Okay, at the service, she'll be here at the ends. If you need, just ask one of us, we'll point her out to you. But they're going to begin to this evening. Now, before I start, some of you have no clue really who I am. Okay, my name's in the bulletin, that really don't matter a whole lot. Okay. The title elders there, that matters even less. All right, the reality is, is you should know a little bit about me before you're willing to hear me put the word out. So some background. I grew up in central Arizona. I did not grow up in Phoenix, where most people are from everywhere else. Okay, I grew up in the canyons of the Salt River. My dad was a hydroelectric electrician and operator, later became the head of all hydroelectric in the state of Arizona. But I grew up in a really tiny, awesome situation. We had very few people around. But I also had a very devoted mother to Christ. She would take us no matter how long. And she is not the best driver in the world. I'm hoping this one's not the one they choose to take. But we would drive through canyons that most people won't ever go through. Okay? And we would go for 45 miles, which would take a long time to get to church every Sunday. Okay? There was no being sick. Okay? You went. But she took us. And one of the opportunities when I was taken and we had a vacation Bible school, I was seven years old, the Methodist Church held it for the little community called Apache Junction, Arizona, which is no longer so little thanks to a couple highways. But we went in there, we went to it, the process went on, several times they made the call, one time they made the altar call and I responded, I was seven years old. I committed to belief and I committed to obey. Now reality I also responded at seven and a half and eight, probably eight and a half and nine, and eventually somebody finally got the clue that they had to explain to me it was a one and done kind of deal, and it was okay to refocus, rededicate, but okay, because I was a little young, and that's okay, but the reality is that took place there. I know it. It was a big instance in my life. My mom encouraged us. She helped us along the way. I went from there later to a larger church in the same community called the First Southern Baptist Church. And there, due to the youth group and some activities, I was baptized with my older brother, my only brother, at 11, and he was 13. And we got the privilege of the giant glass front dunk table, which means everybody gets to watch while you wonder if he's bringing you up because you're down, okay? It's a big thing for them, so it's a little unique. But I was baptized. We were actually going to a Wesleyan church, a smaller church. Some of the folks there actually lived at the same hydroelectric place we did, so we were kind of connected. And there, they asked me to teach first to third grade Sunday school every Sunday. We had Sunday school before service because I was fairly well-versed. I loved to read. I loved to talk about it. I don't do a lot of talking, really, but I'll engage. So I did that for a while until 14. At 14, my dad all of a sudden decided to take us out of the middle of Arizona, July, 125 degrees. And this is prior to everybody and their brother having air conditioning, okay? We had windows that rolled down. But he took us and drove us, and we kept driving. 
and we eventually showed up here in August 21st, I think it was, in 1981, and it was 60. And I was not the happiest camper in the world. I was actually really, really tough to be around. My brother, who is much little shorter than me, had to ride the middle of the truck. We took two vehicles. We had a truck. Dad, my brother, and I sat there for thousands of miles. And every time I'd get him so mad, he would reach over to hit me, which meant my brother got it first because the elbow hit and then the hand because I was not happy. And that happy, unhappiness, that anger came right along when I went to church here on Muldoon Road. I got fired up on a youth pastor about something, and I just walked away. My mom was busy trying to get life going again, working. She didn't have a chance to redirect, and I just drove away. I walked on down and went for years until I met my wife, who some of you know probably better than you know me, named Becky, and she works with the kids' ministry. We instantly started talking. When we first dated, our very first date lasted for hours, and most of it was all just talking, 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 okay? I used up all years' worth of words right that one day. But one of the key things we talked about was our faith. She was a born-again believer in college thanks to navigators. She was raised in the Catholic Church, but she realized she had no relationship with Christ. And so we talked about it. I had my relationship when I was young. She would got hers when she was older, but we dialogued. After a short time, we decided to get married. We continued dialogue, and we got married. Her parents are way connected to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. They've been there forever. We helped rebuild the church when it caved in one winter here. And we started going together. And we went together all the way to my oldest Levi was born. And then friends of ours, his actual godparents, right after invited us to Grace Community Church, where we felt we were being taught, we were being encouraged. We got involved in children's ministries, men's ministries. We joined a life group. We then went six months later because we lived on the far east side of town at the time, created our own life group, which developed and made some great connections, and we grew. And then from there, we were called out from that facility over to Cross Point. Some of you may know Cross Point started, it's right now next to Fred Myers, simply started as a group of people that went to Clad Elementary and ministered to those kids that were struggling out of Diamond State Trailer Court. That's what we did. That lasted for several years. Then I was called from there, the whole family, and we came here. And here we serve as well. Most of you, if you know me at all, know that I stand out there with Miss Mary Bolin and greet. And that's one of my primary things. I also help as one of the leads of life groups. And then I also serve as an elder, which means I really just serve the needs of the body as necessary. It's really nothing more than that. Okay, but I do feel you need to know a little bit about that. You also need to know a little bit about my theology and doctrine. And for me, it's real easy, okay? It's Genesis 1-1 to Revelations 22-21, all right? It's right here. And my son just called me last Sunday because he was frustrated. I was really worried when he called and said, I got to talk to you. It wasn't an email. It made me nervous. But the thing was, he met with a pastor that he had been going to think, and the pastor told him something that I don't believe. He said, some of this is true, but not all of it. And I said, all, not some. The whole entire thing is truth, okay? So you need to know I believe this whole entire thing. Now, that does not mean in any way, shape, or form I understand it all, and I'm probably not going to understand it all even when I get to heaven, okay? When I finally make it there, I may finally get some clues. There's lots of stuff in here I just don't understand because I didn't grow up there. 
I didn't learn their culture. There's lots of things I have to look up and figure out and sometimes just have to be flat out taught by somebody way smarter than me, which is most everybody. Okay, the other thing is you need one of these. If you don't have one, we would love to give you one. Okay, we have them on the corner. You can take it right on it, right in it, right all over it, and it's yours. Okay, because after your connection with Christ, this is number two. You need the word. Number three, you need somebody to help you along. Okay, but please, if you need one, just take one. We can buy more because that's important. Then, as I said, I don't understand all scriptures. Okay, and sometimes I read a scripture and it's way hard. Sometimes I read a scripture, it seems easy, and I go back and it's not all that easy. Now, before we get there, I'm going to have bring up the slide to give you a little bit more information about me. This is me, Monday through Sunday, okay, ever since, oh, sorry about that, probably 81, 82. I just, science just comes, okay, I just, it just is there. I don't know how, but physics and chemistry just, bam, comes out all the time. People would stop me, ask me stuff. Students do. Parents sometimes get a little freaked, but students would just stop me. They got a question from one of the classes, or sometimes they email from college. It just flies. This today is kind of, it's not the real focus, and we'll talk about that, but it's kind of the focus. And what you see here is the same thing, two different. The left side, your right, my left, is kind of a 3D structure. The other side is what the elements look like as they're bonded. It's called an atomic structure. It's got two carbons, five hydrogens all connected to them. Beauty of carbon, in case you didn't know, is it just goes on and on and on and on. Okay, that's why we're here. God created this awesome chemical. The O and the H over there, okay, that's special in chemistry. That's an alcohol. Anytime there's an O and H, it's an alcohol. This one is the one that people consume, okay, they're thousands of them out there, but every time somebody says it's an alcohol, it just has an OH in it. That's all it means. I had to get a little chemistry in today, okay? But reality, this is not our real focus, okay? We're going to use this to talk about some things, but this isn't our real focus. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you time today to flip, because my hope is you brought a Bible, okay? You may not have, and that's okay. We'll put it on the screen, but you really should have it. You got to be able to look in there because you can't trust just unilaterally that what I say is what's in there. And you can't trust that what I say it means is really what it means because if you don't know the picture, the context, or you don't have the whole deal, I could use it, which I pray never, ever, ever happens in here or from me ever, is I can manipulate it and I don't want that to happen. So I want you to have a chance to look. So the very first verse we're going to look at that you first read through and then you might go, whoa, wait a second, is going to be in 1 Timothy. It's towards the back of the Bible. And it's going to be chapter 5, verse 23. Now, 1 Timothy 5, 23 says, Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. And I'm going to tell you, some of you may never, I heard this first service, which first service was a little smaller. It wasn't so intimidating because this little adventure here is a first-time deal. Don't know if it's a last-time deal. As I said, I committed a long time to, ago to believe and committed to obey. The bummer is, about eight weeks ago, 
I felt God say, you missed the boat. Pastor Brad was way sick right up near Sunday, sent out an emergency email. I was in Laramie, so I felt really good. I sent the email back, not it. He was asking the elders, somebody's got to step up and preach. And I just said, not it, I'm in Laramie, ha ha. Then I came back, and I felt God say, that was wrong. So next time I saw Pastor Brad, I said, you know, I'm going to work on a sermon, and I'll give it to you. And he said, well, guess what? You're on October 2nd. A little scary. And I said, well, I'm going to do a lot of praying. He said, what? I'm going to pray for the rapture. And he just <laughs> laughed. He did laugh. Thank goodness. But it, I mean, this is a tough adventure. But now, why is Paul telling Timothy to drink a little wine? Okay, this hits people because a lot of people haven't heard alcohol preached in church. I found that out first service. A lot of people came and said, we've never heard about, you know, they never talk. And that's constant in America. We're afraid of some hard topics sometimes. But is he telling him it could help with illness? Yes. But he's also indicating here that all he's drinking is water. That's all. Nothing else. Okay. Now why? Was Timothy dedicated by his family, or took it on himself later to be a Nazarite. And Nazarites, okay, they were a special group that set themselves apart and accepted certain regulations and requirements in the Old Testament, which dictated what they could consume, how they could live, what they should do. But they were setting themselves apart for a very special service, and Timothy was not a Nazarite. Also, could it have been that he was taking on some regulation or some requirement from a different group or even himself that he put on himself? Okay, this was common. In the New Testament, you see it. The Pharisees did this a lot. The Pharisees often created rules and requirements that they held more important than the actual scripture that they were kind of drawn pieces and parts from. You see it where Jesus talks about after being chastised by him for healing on Sunday, Sabbath, it really wasn't Sunday, it was Saturday probably, but he just points out that they missed the boat, okay? Is this what's going on with Timothy? Is he buying into some other regulations? Now, it raises the issue. Is wine, alcohol, evil, sinful? Is it a sin to drink it? Before looking at these questions, I do have to tell you right now, I have consumed alcohol. I have also at times chosen to abstain from alcohol. Early on in my marriage, my wife and I talked about that a lot. Okay? It's been a big issue. Also, in our lives, my wife and I, we have relatives that are addicted to things. Some of them are addicted to alcohol. Some of them are believers and some of them are non-believers. And I want you to know, if you have not dealt with addiction, not seen it, that's not dealing with it. If you have dealt with an addiction, you know how hard it is. For the rest of us, we have no clue. And I am not minimizing that pain and suffering or that struggle that people go through in any way, shape, or form. Thus, the answer to the previous question, is alcohol evil? Is it a sin to drink alcohol? Is not simple. The only simple part is that drunkenness is sinful, and it's repeated in Scripture. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 6.10. It's also mentioned in Galatians 5.21, but we're going to look at 1 Corinthians back still towards the back of the book, 6.10. Now, it says, 
nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm pretty certain all of us can fit in there somewhere, in some category. But we're going to focus on the drunkards. And I also want you to know, I believe this is not saying if you're a drunkard, you're not going to heaven unless you're in the category of you're a drunkard and you're absolutely not going to deal with it. Okay? You're not letting God in there. Okay? Some folks are going to deal with it. I got some great relatives that are dealing with it. And it's a struggle. Horrible struggle. All right? But they are. They're not going to be an heir. They're not going to be an heir. But the important part there is the drunkenness. Struggling's one thing. Absolutely ignoring it's different. We're also going to look at Ephesians 5.18. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to have you flip around a lot today. Okay? I'm unfortunately not capable of teaching a whole day on one word or three, three weeks on one sentence. Okay? It's not me. There are folks who can do it, and it's been done well right here. So that's not a negative. Please, 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 please don't hear that as a negative in any way, shape, or form. It's just not my gift. Right now, I know Mrs. Owens from Bartlett High School is looking down from heaven. She's a wonderful Christian lady. Just shocked that I'm even here. I had a hard time writing one-word sentences, let alone talk. Now, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Here it's emphasizing that giving up control to anything, not just wine, giving up control to anything other than Christ is a problem. Okay? You're to be controlled by Christ, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, reality, if we were actually allowing ourselves to be totally controlled by the Holy Spirit, it would look a little weird. Okay? It would look a little weird. Some of us go to other churches periodically, and we get a little uncomfortable because what they're doing to us seems a little weird. But they could very well be led by the Holy Spirit in what they're doing, how they're worshiping, how they're communicating, whatever. It's a great opportunity to stretch yourself to go to another type of church. But another verse in the middle, Proverbs 21. I didn't even know this one until about nine, ten weeks ago. One of the other elders shared this with me one time we're talking. So I chose to use it again. And while you're turning there, I'm going to let you know. If you want a resource that is just awesome, I found it online, downloaded it on an electronic reader. It's also available in print. Probably no one's ever going to read it, maybe. But it was a great opportunity to read. It's a gentleman that just simply went through the Bible, took every verse dealing with wine or alcohol, and just put it in there, put the context, made sure you knew what word was being used, Aramaic, Greek, whatever, because sometimes it means juice, grape juice. And sometimes it means real wine. But our English just does wine. So it's a great chance to read about it. Okay? He doesn't make a stance one way or the other. He's just giving you the info. So it is called a toast for the Holy Ghost. Okay? I know it seems kind of like sacrilegious. But, okay, he was very, very well done. Very, very reverent to Christ and God. Now, Proverbs 21. Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Now, if you stop there, you miss the real point. The real point is the second part. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Okay, that's the point. If you give up your control, okay, if you give it up, 
That's the unwise piece. And you need to know in the Old Testament when it uses the unwise or the foolish, what it's talking about is you're just wrong. Okay, you're wrong. So giving up your control to wine, giving up your control to anything is just wrong. So it's important to realize that it's not the use of wine. Make sure. No, it is the use of wine. About went the wrong direction. That's the problem. It's not wine itself. It's your use of the wine that is the problem. Now, why? What does wine do? What does alcohol do? Okay, the science part. Some of you may have read or you get the literature that affects the central nervous system like you got a clue what that is. But what it does, it gets in there and it causes your nerves not to do the right thing all the time. It doesn't send all the signals. It downgrades some of the signals, especially stress. It's great for some things. Back in the ancient times, it relieved stress. If you remember the first Timothy verse we started with, his frequent illnesses in his stomach. Think about it. If you were going up against a bunch of non-believing false prophets, folks wanting to stone you, you might have an ulcer too and a little stressed. Okay? But it downgrades some of that stuff. Okay? It decreases some anxieties. It decreases your brain's ability to get the quick communications that sometimes causes problems. But it also, over time, takes away slowly but surely your ability to function, takes away your ability to say, yo, that's the wrong decision. And then you screw up, make a bad decision, or you commit sin, or you get really out of control. The other thing is, if you even just have that little bit, okay? I've had little kids. I went home one day, and my wife was vacuuming, the kid's screaming, and she goes, if I touch him, I'll kill him, okay? I understand, and some people have that little bit of drink because they're nervous, you know, they're frustrated, work with kill them, and then it's every day. And pretty soon, you build up where it's just part of your life. It's a habit, and you've got this psychological connection. Some people develop a physiological connection. That means that you've had alcohol to the point where your body is used to it, and it's actually not creating some chemicals in you that it needs. So it's telling you, yo, you got to have it because we ain't got it to give you anymore. And it creates a whole nother problem. But reality, over time, you are going to run into what's known as addiction. And addiction is horrible. Absolutely flat out horrible. We work at the downtown soup kitchen. I volunteer periodically. My wife works there regularly. The church supports it. We minister constantly to folks that are fighting addiction. Some believers, some non-believers. Some folks that you would never believe fell as far as they fell. Just due to addiction. It's a horrible thing. And with it, just so you know, it's not just the problem being addicted to like alcohol. It's all the other sins that come along. And all the pain and suffering everybody else around you and you experience. So it's more than just a little thing. Now, as Christians, we seek to live life not controlled by anything or anyone other than Christ, God, or, and or the Holy Spirit. They're all three in one in case you don't know that yet. Okay. We are controlled by anything else. If we are controlled by anything else, it's sinful. Okay, that's sinful. Now, some of you are going to say, can't we be controlled by money? Yes. Spouses? Yes. Family? Yes. Fear? Yes. Power? Yes. Materialism? Yes. That yes goes on and on and on. If it has control over you, that's sin. There's only one control you're supposed to have, and that control is the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay, that's the control. You also need to understand my perspective. Sin is sin, period. 
There's no qualifiers. Okay, it's all the same. I have a hard time with that too, just like you do, because this person over here I see is worse than me. They're really not. God doesn't see them worse than me. My sin's the same as their sin, but sin is sin, period. Now, back to the issue of alcohol. So why does Paul tell Timothy to drink a little wine? First, he wasn't telling him to go get drunk. Okay, that's not what he says. He says little wine. It doesn't say go get drunk. It'll all be better. You'll forget. Okay, tells him a little bit. Okay, a small amount of alcohol can be shown and has been shown to be helpful for some people certain situations. And if you lived 2,000 years ago, there's no Walgreens on the corner. Okay, there are only a few choices. And they had to use their choices. All right. Another issue. It is also acceptable biblically for the consumption of wine in celebrations and different situations and such. Now, don't believe me, okay? Don't automatically just say, yeah, we're going to look it up, okay? You got to test everything. Deuteronomy is where we're going to go. This is way up front, okay? Way in the front. Some of you also are going to say, but you know, that's the Old Testament. Okay, as I showed you, I start at Genesis and I go all the way to the end. I'm not one of these part, you know, it's not the last third. It's the whole Bible is true, okay? Deuteronomy 14, 26 says, use the silver. To buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Now, that anything did not really mean anything. There are things in Deuteronomy that are off limits for consumption, but anything within their bounds. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Now, what's going on here? If you flip to Deuteronomy, you probably notice that this is the tithe. This is when they're being commanded that a tenth needs to be set aside. And the problem is, God already knows, okay? Just in case you didn't know, he knows yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We haven't even got to tomorrow yet. But he knows that some of them are going to be so far away from the temple when it finally gets set up in Jerusalem that they can't take all that tenth with them. So he's commanding them ahead of time to say, hey, sell it, get the silver, and go buy it when you get there. It's sort of like when I travel. My mother-in-law's getting ready to leave tomorrow. She has a hard time with traveling. Every time we go somewhere together, I just say, it's okay. I got a credit card. If I forgot a pair of pants or whatever, we can get it there. It's okay. Okay? Not meaning to overcharge. It just means relax. But he's telling them, relax. If you can't get it all there, get the money. Go buy it. Celebrate there. Okay? Celebrate there. Now, that's the tithe portion. We're also going to flip into a psalm. And while we go to this Psalm 104, 15, I'm also going to let you know that the temple has changed. In case you haven't heard it yet, the temple in Jerusalem, which was originally a tabernacle, which traveled with the people called out of Egypt, contained the inner court and contained the place where God lived. Shekinah glory was there. Okay, and that moved and then eventually went to the temple. And then now that curtain came down, ripped, and now the temple's moved. In case you don't know, those indwelled with the Holy Spirit, you're the temple. Now, Psalms 104.15. Wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their heart. Now, this whole entire psalm is a celebration, a praise of what God's created for our enjoyment. But what you got to understand is it does not say giving up your control. 
okay? Once again, it doesn't say, hey, go get drunk, okay? That's not what it says, all right? But it is a reference that God created. Now, another one, kind of lengthy. I'm sorry. As again, I told you, I can't just, especially, I got to have enough so I can talk long enough. I'd hate to have a 30-second sermon and a quick prayer and be done. But not that that's bad. It's not enough, okay? Here's another, John 2, 3 through 10. This kind of a long one, as I mentioned. Back towards the New Testament. This is a wedding. Jesus and his mom's attending and starts with three. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, a kind used for Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So that means six of them is 120, 180 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so that they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Now, if wine is sinful, did Jesus commit sin? No. Big no. Giant no. If wine itself is sinful, then the conversion of water to wine would be sin. And we know, we believe, okay, we believe Jesus was the only sinless person, past, present, and future, okay? That's it. So we know that he could not have done sin. He could not have created wine if wine was sinful. Did Jesus provide others a sinful item? No, again, because it would be sin, and we know Jesus committed no sin. Did Jesus allow others free will to choose how they would behave? Always. It's God's gift to us to be allowed to decide, and with that comes the reality of choosing sin at times, as well as choosing not to follow Jesus at all, which is worse than just sinning, because it comes with everlasting torment in hell, another topic lots of churches don't like to talk about. But another point, did Jesus drink wine? And this one's a maybe. Okay, it's just a maybe. We're going to look it up. Matthew eleven nineteen, which is also in Luke seven thirty four. Okay, still in the New Testament. Here it says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend to tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. From this verse, it would seem that people had seen Jesus consume wine. It's just as possible. They are just putting on Jesus what they have seen others he's ministering to doing. They could simply be making assumptions. And assumptions were easy to make 2,000 years ago just like it is today. My wife works at the soup kitchen. People see her there. They could instantly think, hey, she's homeless. Okay? Assumptions are easy to make, and we've got to be careful with that. So does God allow us to drink wine? Yes, and no. Okay, yes and no. 
Yes, if you are not controlled by the wine and you are not becoming drunk, which is a loss of control. But more importantly, it is also no. And the no comes directly from Scripture. It's right out the New Testament. Romans 14, 21. And yes, I know we'll get there in about six years, but we're going to get there now today. And once again, that's not a negative, okay? I'm hoping he laughs in three weeks when he comes back from hunting. But Romans 14, 21. And I have personally been blessed by the teaching, okay? Okay, some people like a little more speed, but I've been getting some great teaching there. Romans 14, 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that causes your brother or sister to fall. Now, the fall is to sin. And the brother or sister means fellow believers in Christ. Now, here, the no is your behavior. Is it an obstacle to your fellow believer? Are you causing them to fall? Now, this would be anything, not just wine and not just meat, but anything. Now, this grates on us self-determined Americans. Okay, I grew up that way. I'm in charge of me. I was raised by a man that we did it our way. As long as you didn't hurt nobody, it's okay. You're in control of just you. You're responsible for just you. The problem is, God's way is not our way all the time. Okay, just because our culture says one thing, it doesn't mean it lines up with God. Now, we are always responsible for our brothers and sisters. Sometimes that means you're going to have to come alongside and just pray for them. Sometimes it means you're going to have to come alongside and help pick them up, disciple them, mentor them. Okay, you might have to encourage them one way or another. And the hardest thing ever is to have to exhort them. Going up to somebody you got a connection, don't do this with just anybody, okay? It doesn't normally work out. But you go up to somebody that you've known, you know they're a believer, you're a believer, there's something going on in their life, and you've got to confront them on it, that's tough. But sometimes you got to do it, okay? Because we are responsible. That's the key thing today. It is not that chemical on the board earlier. It's our responsibility. We're responsible for each other. We have a responsibility, unlike what we're often taught in our culture. But what about the non-believer? Because you need to understand, I believe there are two groups, the found and the lost. And I deal with the found different than I deal with the lost. If I don't know you're in the found, I'm going to talk to you different. Because you're not going to understand some of what I'm going to tell you if I believe you're found. If I believe you're found, I can point you in directions and the scriptures and stuff that I hope will be meaningful to you that will totally be unmeaningful, unconnecting to somebody that doesn't understand yet because they've got no relationship with Christ. The Holy Spirit's not there to help them out. Okay? But I believe there's that two groups. But are we responsible for the non-believers? And we're still there. We're still responsible. 1 Corinthians 10.32. 1 Corinthians 10.32 points this out real well. Lots of people use this regularly. And it says, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Now, the church of God, we just covered, believers, non-believers. Okay, what's we're talking about, we just church of God or the brothers and sisters in Christ. The Jews, okay, these were the folks that God had called, but are missing the boat. Okay, Greeks are all the other folks out there, all the Gentiles were the Greeks. The church of God are both groups that have come to know Jesus, have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. So this absolutely points out that we have a responsibility to everyone. We're responsible to the non-believer and we're responsible to the believer. Bottom line, 
wine itself is not sinful. Consumption of wine is not sinful. Drunkenness is sinful. And most importantly, we have a responsibility to help everyone not sin. As Christians, we have been called to bring folks to the family, to Christ, not to create ways to block them from Christ. It's not a country club where only certain people can be here. We're called to bring them all. And if you're living in a way that's preventing that, that's a problem. Now, that doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. Okay? It does not mean we're always going to get it right. There was a time at Diamond High School I had a guy that I worked with that I just enjoyed being around, enjoyed talking with, visiting with. As a teacher, there's a very narrow window of time once in a while where you can actually do something with someone other than a 14 to 17-year-old kid. And he would stop by and he'd say, I'm going for a walk. I knew what that meant. He tried to quit smoking lots of times, and we coached together for years. But a walk meant we were going to go for a walk so he could have a smoke. And I would go with him just because I wanted to be around him. And then later, one other lady we worked with said, yo, dummy, you're not helping here. What? And she pointed out real quick, and I thought, you know, I am screwing that up. I'm not helping him. Okay? Same thing with our walk with Christ. Sometimes we're just an obstacle, and we're called to help bring them in, not put them off. Okay? Now, last three things. How do we apply this to our lives? Not just you, but our lives, my life as well. First, pray. And you hear that a lot, but the second half of it is in listen. Pray for God's direction in regards to alcohol in your life. And when you pray, listen. And listening may take a while, and you may get an answer you don't like. I get that a lot, okay? And the other thing is you may not hear it. Some people say, well, I just, I felt Jesus telling me this is what I should do, or I heard him, or I sent in my head, so like when I'm silent reading. Some people have those experiences. Sometimes we have the experience I had six weeks ago when I told the lady here in the church I was going to preach on this, and she shared with me something that was just a word from God, bam. Okay, that happens sometimes. And sometimes we ignore it because we expect God to just all of a sudden yell out in our head, this is what we're supposed to do. It doesn't always happen that way, but be willing to listen. Try to hear God. Second, look around. Look around you. Are there people in your life that you are causing to stumble? And are you possibly just a contributor to that? Are you an obstacle? Okay. Take a look around. Sometimes it's hard to see, and we're not perfect. As I tell my students regularly, they'll know the day I'm perfect. Clat an old sewer, poof, they're going to be a batch of smoke because they're going to smoke me off because I'm dead. Okay? I'm not ever going to be there anytime on this earth. We're going to screw up at times. It happens. Okay? But part three is the important part. Once you see something, choose to take an action. Okay, choose to take an action. Decide what you should do for you. And I'm telling you, you don't have to have the same choice as me. Okay, you don't have to have the same choice as me. But take an action. And sometimes it's really hard because I know I struggle. We get these testimonies. Somebody was here, they prayed, and they're there. Bam. That's never happened to me. Okay, you may choose to take an action and you start here and you take three steps and all of a sudden you fall two. And you take one and you fall the same two. And you take a few more, and slowly but surely you get, hopefully, to where you're trying to go. Or God may put you in another direction as you go. But choose to take an action. Okay? Choose to take an action. 
Now, also before I finish, the worship team preempted me because they're nervous my first time and they forget them. And also Don Burns, if you want to start coming forward, sir, too. It would be really missed of me if I didn't take the opportunity to give you the opportunity. Very few of you do I know personally. Lots of you I see come through this door. Some of you I never see because you come through the other set of doors. But if you're at the point, and I know this message probably has nothing to do with that. The reality is you may simply be here and God's been yanking on you. You got a guy at the soup kitchen that's been happening. We've talked to him a lot. God's just pulling, 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 pulling. People ministering to you. And you're finally at that point where you're ready to take the last step, which is just to commit to believe and commit to obey. Actively in your heart, say, God, I know I can't do it. Okay? You can. I can't. I got no hope other than through you. I am turning my life over to your leadership, your lordship. Now, I grew up, that included an altar call, included people laying across you, praying over you, people making you raise your hands and stuff. That's truly just to help you take the step out to make it real. The reality is if it's you today and you are making that choice, all I really ask of you is that you tell somebody, whether it's me, one of the other elders, one of the pastors, one of the leaders of life groups, even if it's the person sitting next to you, you have not even met yet. Telling somebody makes it real. It steps you out. The other side, find somebody to help you. Because as soon as you make that choice, just like if you're a believer already and you choose to go down a path, as soon as you make that choice, the devil's going to hit you. Okay? He is going to hit you. And you need the support. You absolutely need the support. Thank you. I do want to let you know this is my first big adventure at this. If you have any criticism, comments, or anything, please let me know. One, because there's a chance I'd like to get better. Reality, I would. Two, I may never get to do it again, but at least like to know if there's things I could do different. And if in any way, shape, or form something I said you believe is an error, I want to know. As I said, I don't ever want to manipulate or mislead Scripture in any way, shape, or form. Thank you for your time. I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer, and then we're going to have Don come up for our communion. If you bow your heads. Thank you, Lord, for this awesome blessing. I've spent six weeks just praying, 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 praying. The rapture didn't come. I made it through. I'm praying that your words came through, not mine. I'm praying that they went out. And I know that they do not come back void. And I pray that there are folks here that were ministered to, people had an opportunity to think that they are actively involved, that they looked into their own hearts, not into anybody sitting next to them or anybody around other than themselves. I pray, Lord, that those folks that are on the edge of the chasm choose to come across. I also give thanks, Lord, for this body, the willingness of them to bear with a novice. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you, and I pray, Lord, that these folks will leave here today just with a deeper understanding and a deeper love for you. In your name I pray. Amen. This is a special time of worship for us this morning as we can come together and share this meal together as a body of believers. It's a time where we come in remembrance of our Lord. You know, the, the 
last night of his life, our Lord gathered together with him, his closest companions. John said uh, it was the night before the feast of the Passover. And Jesus, knowing that it was time for him to leave this world and return to his father, he said, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And what a love that was. And this night, uh, he gave them his final instructions before he was to leave them and be joined with his father. On this night, he saw his closest companions, one of those who he loved so dearly would turn his heel against him and turn him over to an angry mob. He saw the rest of his companions abandon him in the hour of his greatest need. Our Lord went to that garden of Gethsemane that evening. He cried out to his father, Father, Father God, please, if it be possible, take this cup from me. And out of obedience to the fathers that he loved, he got up off his knees and he walked that lonely walk to the cross. He took upon himself my sin and your sin. He laid himself upon that cross and he took the full fury of his father in heaven upon him. He did that for you and for me. We don't come to this table because there's anything special about this bread or this cup. We come to this table out of obedience to our Lord. Our Lord told those disciples on that night that he was to be prayed. He said, whoever has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And if you love me, my Father will love you. And I will love you also, and I will make myself known to you. This is a promise from our Lord. And during that night, as it's related by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, this is what he said. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, after supper, he took a cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever we drink this cup and eat this bread, we proclaim the death of our Lord until he comes. And what a glorious day that will be. If the ushers would please come forward and, and pass out the cup and the bread. I want to just say one thing before we start. Uh, as you take the bread and the cup, when you are ready, feel free to eat and to drink. But before you do that, I would encourage you to examine the condition of your heart. Think about what it is that the Lord has done for you. Think about where you are. Are you truly living in obedience to him? Because truly there is no love without obedience. Consider what he has done. Remember him. Take and eat. 